We are so glad you've joined us today for our Tuesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we are continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Good evening. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, man. Welcome to Calvary Castle Rock. Anybody need a Bible so you can follow along with what we're going to do tonight? As we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 8. So, we're actually going to be in 2 Samuel, actually. Unlike the uh, covenants we've been going over the last couple of weeks, and we kind of like had that little sidebar. Now we're coming back into 2 Samuel. So, I want a bit of a, a quick review, just because <clears throat> it has been a few weeks since we've been in 2 Samuel. Um, we spent the last two Bible studies in the Covenants of Israel, and then last week we had uh, Bob Cornuke here, which was pretty cool, uh, talking about the temple. But with the death of Saul, we have seen um, David's fortune change considerably. He's no longer a future re- fugitive uh, running away from Saul. Um, he was quickly acknowledged as king by the southern tribe of Judah, his own tribe. And in the north, we had Ishbosheth. Remember that guy? Um, the surviving son of Saul, and he was propped up as king by the military leader Abner. Over the next few years, there's these minor skirmishes between David and, and Ishbosheth. Obviously, David's strength grew, was stronger than Ishbosheth, and then Ishbosheth was assassinated by two cowardly dudes, and they bring his head to David, and David then looks at him and said, Really? And then, you know, executes them instead. And so, uh, seven, seven years later, David becomes king. Of uh, over all of Israel, not just Judah. And so it was at this point that David then captures the city of the Jebusites. Jerusalem then is made capital of all Israel, and that David brings the ark, the presence of God, into the city. And so now we're going to see in chapter 8, David expanding his kingdom. Now, before we look at David expanding his kingdom, I, I would ask, if I hadn't read everything up until this point, who gives David the right to just go out and just make war with everybody? You know, if you were just coming in tonight and we go over this, you're going, what is that all about? Why does he have to go after the Philistines and the Moabites and, you know, the Arameans uh, and Syria and, and the Edomites? And well, why does he have to, you know, go and expand his territory? Well, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God has chosen Israel. Israel is God's chosen people through Abraham. And so God tells Israel this in chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, you do whatever ite joke you want after that. Seven nations greater and mightier than you. And, and those aren't all the people that dwell on the land. Those are all Canaanites. Okay, seven is the number of completion. It is to completely get rid of this, this pagan uh, way of worshiping and, and, and the rule that they've had there for a long, long time, over 500 years. And so when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them, utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. So who's the one that's going to give them victory? God. God's going to deliver them to you. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son or take their daughter for your son. Um, God's not uh, being racist or anything like this. There's a reason why he doesn't want them to intermarry that we're going to read here in a moment. 
for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve their God. So there's one reason right there, because he knows that when it comes to the things of the world, when the things of God are married into the things of the world, the things of the world went out. Okay, they do. They water down the things of God. Uh, and so the things of God aren't as powerful that way. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. All these carved images, all these altars that they're going to be tearing down um, are very perverted, uh, very X-rated. Uh, the way that they worship, the way um, uh, they, they worshiped, uh, they're gods of reproduction and fruitfulness and things like that, very, very perverted. And so he says, you're going to tear them all down. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not send his love on you, nor chose you because you are more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the people. So he's letting them know right now, look, don't think that you're all that because I've chosen you. All right? This is a gift I'm giving you. The gift is me. So you can't boast in that. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 4, 7, and I, I got to go to it because I want to make sure I say it correctly. Um, but it reminds me, it says, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as, you, as if you have not received it, like you earned it or something? So Israel, Jews, don't act like you earned anything. You didn't earn a thing. This is a gift of God, much like the Lord Jesus Christ is to us, right? And to everybody today. How can I boast, uh, you know, uh, in the flesh because I know Jesus? Jesus was freely given to me. Why do I boast as though I've earned it or somehow I'm better than someone else because I have Jesus and you don't? How ridiculous. It was given to me. It's a gift. And so if I just received it, how, how can I boast in that? is what Paul is saying. You can't. And Israel can't either. The land is being given to them. God is the one that's going to deliver um, them into your hands. He's the one that's going to give you victory in war. Yes, he's going to use you. Yes, you're going to have to fight. But when you win, don't be patting yourselves on the back. It isn't about you. It's about the Lord. So he tells them right here, and he, and he says, um, for you're a holy people, the Lord your God, and the Lord of God has chosen you to be a, a people for him, a special treasure. And he says in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you, because you are more number than any of the people, for you are the least of all the people. If anything, you should come away with it humble. Well, what is he saying there? You guys were so pathetic. You guys were so feeble. If it wasn't for me, you'd be nothing. Well, that's the way it is with all of us, with God in our lives. If it wasn't for God, we'd be nothing. What does it tell us in, in Corinthians? He chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. There, there's nothing, we, we, there, there's absolutely nothing for us to take pride in, in and of ourselves. Instead, it needs to be a heart of gratitude, thankfulness, knowing that if the Lord didn't intercede in our lives, we wouldn't have come to know the Lord. God is always the initiator. He's the one that's always coming after us. We didn't find him, and then we can boast about it and go, man, I searched high and low. And I finally found him. Boy, everybody sure is stupid for not finding him. It's not. God is the initiator. So if I know the Lord, it's because he first chose me. I did not choose him. He chose me. He came after me. 
He wooed me. As the word of God tells us, that's what the Holy Spirit does with everyone. He tries to point them to the person of Jesus Christ. That's God's initiation. That's his love. And we see that with Israel. You're going to a land that I'm going to bring you to, but understand it has nothing to do with you guys. You're the least of the people, all right? I have chosen to love you in this way. For what reason? In order to thumb his nose at the rest of the population? No. Isaiah 49, 6, verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6. He wants to have this special relationship with them. So as they grow, they're able to be a light to all the other nations around them. And that's what it says. You are to be a light to the Gentiles and the Gentile nations, all the other light. So when they see this special relationship that they have with God and the land that they're living and how God is blessing, they want to go, wow, who is this God that you, that you worship? And then they'd be able to share the Lord with him and say, you know what? He, he can be your God as well. But they failed in that. Anyway, so he's the one that's going to give them the land. So if you just kind of shoot over here to verse 21, it says, you shall not be terrified of them for the Lord, your God, the great awesome God is among you. And the Lord, your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. He doesn't say I'll drive them out all at once. He says little by little. Why? Because you will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the fields become too numerous for you. There's not enough of you to take over all the land. So when you go in, you take over as much as you can, having faith in the Lord. And as you grow, then you have faith and take over more of all the area that God has given you. He's given you that land that we call Israel today. He didn't give them North Africa. He didn't give them the whole continent. of He didn't give them the whole world. He gave them this area of land. And because God gave it to them, guess who it belongs to? Them. God gets to choose who gets to live where. And you know what? He has placed them there. And that's still today as we went over the different covenants over the last couple weeks. We've been able to see this now. Little by little, okay? If I run them all out, then the beasts will take over a lot of the land. And so we don't want that. So allow for them to live. But then once you get bigger, I want you to go and recapture the land that has been given to you. And so they're supposed to do that in faith. Not intermarry, not worship their gods. But that's not what they did. Over here, in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, he gives us a little bit more insight of why he's removing the people in the land. He tells us, verse 1, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of Anakin, whom you know and whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them, bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before the Lord, has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord has drive them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you're a stiff-necked people. So how many times does God have to say, look, I'm not placing you there because you guys are awesome. I'm not placing you there because you guys are so righteous. As a matter of fact, he says you're stiff-necked. You're stubborn. 
You're a stubborn group of people. And the more that I study Israel, the more I realize I'm Israel. (laughs) I'm stubborn, how long it takes me to get things, you know, that God didn't choose me because, man, Dave, you're awesome. Come to know me. I chose you because you're feeble, you're weak, you're just like Israel is. And he says, this is why I'm giving it to you. Their, their time is up. God told Abraham that as he walked the land, he's not giving it to his descendants yet. Why? Because the sin of the Amorites have not reached its height yet. And we know because of how God has sent Jonah out to the Ninevites, who are Gentile pagans, that God, through his word time and time again, we know that even though we don't have the history of what happened in India their whole time or here in North America or or in South America, that God always has his ambassadors that he's sending out to the nations to turn from their wicked ways and come to know him. It's one of the reasons I believe that there's so many uh, flood accounts in some of these uh, ancient cultures around the world. Where'd they get that from? I believe God has always been sending out his ambassadors to try and reach them. And no doubt for 400 years, he's been doing this to the Canaanite people. And it's now gotten to the point where enough and he's going to judge. And he judges by bringing Israel in to wipe them out, much like Israel later on when they intermarried and they went after other idols. What did God do to bring judge them, other nations? So this is kind of how God brings judgment upon the earth is that he will bring another nation in to wipe you out or put you under servitude or something like that. So he says, the reason I'm, bring, I'm getting rid of these nations, driving them out before you is because they're wickedness. We'll go to Leviticus 18. He describes their wickedness. He says this. He goes, as he's talking about these nations before, he says, Moreover, you shall not, in verse 20 of chapter 18, Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lay with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Nor shall you mate with an animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I'm casting out before you. That means this is what the nations were doing. Okay? Homosexuality was rampant. Bestiality was rampant. And he just go, oh my goodness, constantly sleeping with your neighbor's wife. Adultery was rampant. All sorts of perversion. And one of the reasons is, is because those are the gods that they worshipped. They worship Ash, Ashtarte and, and all these other gods of Baal and, and, and it speaks of, of reproduction and reproduction of the land, fruitfulness of the land. And you have to do these crude sexual acts in order to appease the gods, in order to bring fruitfulness into the land. And everything was very sexual. And God said, enough enough. I'm casting them out of the land. And don't do these things that they were doing. And don't worship these idols. And don't intermarry. Why? Yes, because they'll lead you astray. I I agree with that. But is it quite possible that many of these nations have disease rampant through them? And if you intermarry with them, all of a sudden you bring it now into the nation? I would suggest so, because several times when God says, I want you to go wipe out this nation, as well as the animals, it says. Why, why kill the animals? I would submit to you, is because of the practice here, that they are contaminated. That they are contaminated. So when we read about David and what he goes on to do here, understand he is just carrying out what God's word to say from the very beginning, which nobody before him was able to do. Go to the east, 
Go to the west, go to the north, go to the south, to all those places that God has given you, and I will drive them out. But you have to have faith, and you have to understand it's me that is doing it. And I would submit to you here in chapter 8, David totally understands that it's the Lord that is driving out the nations. He understands that. And I would then submit to you that it's not very soon thereafter, that chapter-wise anyway, that David forgets that. And he, and he begins to think it is him. And that begins his downfall. And so here in chapter 8, if we go over here to chapter 8, 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, David is now king. He's king not just over Judah, but all of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem is now his headquarters. Um, he has done a great job of organizing and um, and, and putting structure to his government. Uh, it says in, in verse 1, it says, And after this it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines, subdued them, and David took Mepheg Amah from the hand of the Philistines. Now, he, um, the Philistines have been a, a thorn in Israel's side for about 125 years at this point. Remember when David first became king, it was the Philistines that attacked him. Okay? And so now that he's organized, he's structured, he's solidified his government and everything else, um, everything is, is, is running the way it's supposed to, he realizes, okay, there's land now that we have to possess that God has given us that belong to us. And so the first place he goes is to the Philistines, and he subdues them. And David took Metheg Amah. Now, this is a very interesting name, uh, because Metheg Amah is not a town, at least we have not been able to discover any writings or anything that suggests that this is a town. And so what most people believe is that it's symbolic of what just happened here because uh, Metheg Amah means bridal of the mother. Weird name. Bridal of the mother. Uh, okay, what does that mean? Well, what is a bridal? The bridal controls the whole animal, doesn't it? It controls the whole animal. And so obviously by waging war against the Philistines and subduing them. They now have a bridle about them, which David now can do whatever he wants. And so by taking this area or this place, they've taken the mother city of the Philistines. They've taken the chief city of the Philistines. And we're told in 1 Chronicles 18, which is pretty much parallel to what we're reading here in 2 Samuel 8, it says that not only did he take this area, but he also took Gath, which was the capital of the Philistines. And so he has taken over, he has broken through, he's broken the camel's back, per se, uh, their strength. And so now it's, I surrender. And so now they have a bridle, and he now controls that area where the Philistines were. And so taking Gath and its towns means he's taken the heart and soul out of the Philistines' rule. And so, um, so that, that, that's what's uh, going on here. And then, after going to the west there, where the Philistines are, he now goes to the east, and it says in verse 2, Then he defeated Moab, forcing them down to the ground. He measured them off with a line. With two lines he measured off those to be put to death, and with one full line upon those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became servants of David and brought tribute. Now, why doesn't he just drive them completely out of the land? There's not enough Israelites, that's why. And so he will have the power to be able to defeat their army, so now they become vassal kings. Philist, uh, uh, Philistia, uh, the Philistines, that area. Now the Moabites. 
Um, he'll put garrisons in these places. And so he is in control, but there's still not enough people to take over the whole land to, to remove them completely to push them out. And so he does this with the Moabites. Now, why such harsh treatment with Moab? When you think about it, um, Saul harassed the Moabites, we're told in 1 Samuel 14, 47, when he was still doing what the Lord has called him to do. He was having great victory over the Moabites as well as the Philistines and other people. And so when David was running around, he, he would actually go into Moab. We even know that Ruth, his great-grandmother, was a Moabitess. You know, we read in Ruth 4.13 that Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, she bore a son. Um, and then it says, Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law, who would be Ruth, who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became to, be, came to nurse him. And also a neighbor woman gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Ruth is his great-grandmother, Moabitess. It's also interesting that while David was living in exile, running from Saul, he placed his parents into the custody of the king of Moab. 1 Samuel 22, 3, it says, And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So he's basically asking the king of Moab, would you take care of my parents while I'm running around trying to escape the wrath of Saul? That I don't have to be, you know, watching out after my parents who are a little bit older. Can they stay here with you where they're safe? So why is he going after Moab? Well, I would suggest to you because God said to, <laughs> that this is the area, okay? There is an area of Moab that is not part of the promised land uh, that they can go and dwell in, but they've, they've encroached upon the land that was, that was given to Israel, there are those who say, you know, we never hear of David's parents after this. And so the question is, okay, so, so is it possible that the king of Moab, after David becomes king, or maybe during his enterprise before that, all of a sudden begins to abuse his parents or maybe killed them? And then maybe David's going after him for that reason. But then that's the revenge factor, and, uh, and I, I don't see that necessarily happening. I would more or less look at it as, um, you know, this is the area of land that, that was given to them. Uh, Balaam is the one that, uh, through the king of Moab, is one who pronounced curses upon Israel. And since that didn't work, he's the one that told the king of Moab, uh, Balak, to, to go ahead and send their women down to seduce them to worship other idols and to sleep with them. And that's what they did. And so it's been a thorn in Israel's side. And, and God doesn't. He doesn't forget those things. And so um, David is just carrying out uh, the mandate that God has given Israel to do. And then in verse 3 it says, And David also de defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. These were the Arameans, okay, is who these guys are. And he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. So the Arameans uh, become David's objective. Uh, it's kind of a loose federation of city-states. They, they kind of came around about the same time that uh, Saul was uh, mon the Israel's monarchy under Saul. Uh, so David makes an assault against Hadadassar, um, and he was going on a campaign to the Euphrates River to recover some territory when, when he is struck by David. Neither death nor even life. 
That completes this Tuesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us Wednesday as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.